one note about today's scripture reading is that it is um, one that includes you guys uh, to um, participate. So um, you'll notice in the bulletin that there is some italics, and that is your part. So I'll say the first part, and then you respond with, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray a prayer of illumination. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word, and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. Who alone does great wonders? Who by understanding made the heavens? Who spread out the earth on the waters? Who made the great lights? The sun to rule over the day. The moon and the stars to rule over the night. Who struck Egypt through their firstborn. And brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. Who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. Who led his people through the wilderness. Who struck down great kings. And killed famous kings. Sihon, the king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his servant Israel. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, and rescued us from our foes, who gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. The word of the Lord. That was fun, wasn't it? What a great uh, Pentecost uh, celebration we're having today. Uh, We have much to be thankful for. And while I was uh, thinking about that this week, I remembered a story I heard a while ago about how every year, the city of Boston uh, receives a Christmas gift from the Canadian province of Nova Scotia. Uh, Year after year, Nova Scotia sends down to Boston the best Christmas tree that they can find in the province at a cost of $180,000 a year. Uh, And the reason they do this has to do with a a horrible tragedy that occurred in the the capital city of Nova Scotia, uh, Halifax, on December 6, uh, 1917. 
On that day, a French cargo ship packed with explosives for World War I was pulling into the Halifax Harbor when it collided with another vessel. The resulting fire quickly led to a massive explosion that is still known today as the largest man-made explosion in history before the development of the atomic bomb. It released the energy of 2.9 kilotons of TNT, devastated the city, killed 2,000 people, and injured more than 9,000. The shockwave from this explosion shattered windows 50 miles away. Halifax was destroyed, but in the aftermath, uh, the city of Boston uh, sent rescue trains up the coast filled with nurses and emergency uh, personnel to come to the aid of their Canadian neighbors. And uh, Nova Scotia has never forgotten. That's why they spend $180,000 every year to thank the people of Boston for what their great-grandparents did. And, and most people in Boston you know, don't know why they're being thanked, uh, to which someone in Halifax once said, why should we stop thanking them? I think the author of uh, Psalm 136 that, that we just heard uh, would have appreciated this story of gratitude. This was someone who appreciated repetition, clearly, uh, and thankfulness. We're starting a new series today on praying the Psalms. And I'm really grateful that we have a, we have a whole uh, team of people who are going to be participating in this preaching series uh, while I'm on vacation. Terry Morrison and Joe Veltman and, and Jeff Harden have each chosen a psalm that has special meaning for them that they will be teaching on over the next uh, three weeks. So you don't want to miss that. But today, I want to frame our series by looking at uh, this psalm, 136. All the psalms are prayers that teach us how to pray. But Psalm 136 is unique in some ways, and and it gives us a window into how to read all the psalms. And not just the psalms, but the whole Bible. Psalm 136 tells us that there's a thread uh, connecting every part of the Bible story. Even the the difficult parts that we have trouble understanding, like this stuff here about the kings being killed. Uh, Kind of strange, but the psalm says throughout, throughout it all, at every step, His steadfast love endures forever. Now, this is the great theme of the Bible that the the children's uh, author, Sally Lloyd-Jones, calls God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. In prayer, as we pray the Psalms, especially, we learn to connect our lives and our stories to this great story, this great story of God. So how does this happen? The three things that we learn today through uh, this psalm. First, how to talk to God. Second, how to tell God's story. And third, how to tell our story. First, how to, how to talk to God. When children are young, we, we often say to them, maybe some of you have said this recently, uh, use your words. Uh, children learn language from their parents and from their community And we don't just tell them to use their words, we often give them words to say. Say, please, thank you, you're welcome. And when we do this, it accomplishes two things. It gives children language to express what they're feeling. When they want something, they know how to ask for it. But it also forms the kind of person they're becoming. A person who is polite, who is respectful, who has a certain kind of character. 
the language that we use is both expressive and formative. The Psalms, as prayers that teach us how to pray, are both these things as well. First, the, the Psalms give us language to describe and express our experience. John Calvin, uh, the great theologian, called the Psalms an anatomy of the soul. I love that. An anatomy of the soul. And he said that in the Psalms, there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. All the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, and perplexities of life are in the Psalms. The psalmists are not afraid to express our deepest emotions, our darkest despair, or our doubts about God's goodness. They, they teach us that God meets us in these honest expressions of joy, grief, fear, doubt, and confusion. When God seems distant or unresponsive, you can pray like Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And when your heart is, is heavy with grief, you can pray like Psalm 31. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. Or when you're filled with joy, you can declare with Psalm 9, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. Most of the Bible speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. They give us a language for the human experience in a broken and beautiful world. But this isn't all the Psalms do. They not only express human emotions, they form our response to the world. They, they, they make us the kinds of people who bring all our experiences into conversation with God. Another word for this is liturgy. That's literally what we have in Psalm 136, an ancient liturgical poem from the worship life of the Jewish temple. We know that's what it is because we see parts of the psalm uh, elsewhere in the Bible. For example, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, after Solomon dedicates the temple that he built for the Lord, we, we hear this. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord, the, the presence of God, filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. They're praying Psalm 136. All the Israelites spoke these words together. This, this is what liturgy does for us. It enables us to pray and worship uh, in community with others. As Eugene Peterson has written, liturgy is not, as some suppose, aesthetics. It is courtesy. It is being mindful that there are others to whom God speaks and who answer. It is the gracious acknowledgement that others in the family also have needs and rights and that I am neither the only nor the favorite child. When we pray the Psalms, and when we pattern our worship life after them, as, as we seek to do here at Geneva, 
we acknowledge that we gather with the universal church throughout time and space. We make room for the needs in the community that, that may not be the same as our, as, as our own uh, in the moment. Needs for confession, praise, thanks, silence, joyful noise. We, we recognize that we stand together in God's great story, remembering uh, his steadfast love. This brings us to our, our second point, how to tell God's story uh, with this great theme of, of steadfast love. In Hebrew, uh, steadfast love is the, the great Hebrew word chesed. Uh, this is the, the characteristic of God most praised in the Psalms. Chesed is not a feeling like romantic love. Chesed is an action. It is uh, promise-keeping love, a commitment and faithfulness uh, even in the face of adversity. The story of God is the story of his hesed toward his creation, uh, and specifically the human race. We see this in two ways in uh, Psalm 136, in creation and in redemption. In verses 4 to 9, tell the story of creation, focusing especially on, on the sun, the moon, and the stars, and their regularity. And verses 10 to 22 tell the story of redemption, focusing on the exodus, God's faithful protection in the wilderness, and the people's entrance into the promised land. Sihon and and Og were were great kings who who tried to prevent Israel from getting into the promised land. Uh, You can read about it in Numbers 21. Uh, But each line of this psalm alludes to these foundational stories of redemptive history in order to make the point, poetically, that God is the primary actor uh, in this story. He is the hero of the story. He's the creator doing wonders in the heavens, and he's the warrior going out to battle for his people. He's the God of gods and, and the Lord of lords, but he's not remote and distant. He acts in history for the sake of his people, to rescue them and to settle them in a good place. When we give thanks for this God, we remember who he is and all that he's done, that he is a God who's always moving towards the lost and and the broken in his love. It's a story that, for Christians, finds its ultimate fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. At times, in the Gospels, Jesus acts like the creator of the universe. Uh, For example, in Matthew 8, when Jesus and his disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee and a storm came up, Jesus commanded the winds and the waves to be silent, and they obeyed him. He claimed ultimate power and authority. And yet, as the story goes on, he goes on to die on the cross. He didn't kill his enemies. He was killed by them. These are two different, very different portraits of Jesus. How, how do you make sense of them? The early church concluded that the only, only one thing made sense, that if Jesus was who he said he was and and proved it by rising from the dead, then his death on the cross must be the ultimate expression of God's steadfast love. He came to redeem from slavery as he'd always done. But the slavery of death and sin required him to enter the darkest place of, of human need and suffering, even the grave itself. When you believe that this is God's character, Thanksgiving becomes a a spiritual discipline. 
to know God is to live in gratitude for him. G.K. Chesterton once wrote, the worst moment for the atheist is when he is really thankful and has nobody to thank. The converse of this proposition is also true. The best moment for the believer is when he is really thankful and has somebody to thank. The great saint may be said to mix all his thoughts with thanks. All goods look better when they look like gifts. It is the, highlight, the highest and holiest of the paradoxes that the man who really knows he cannot pay his debt will be forever paying it. He will be always throwing things away into a bottomless pit of unfathomable thanks. When you know that you have something great to be truly thankful for, it changes you. This is uh, what I love so much about the, the story of Les Mis, and especially the story of Jean Valjean, why I use it so often in a sermon. Uh, you remember the great scene uh, where he's stolen uh, silverware from this bishop who has only ever been kind to him, and Jean Valjean is brought back by the police expecting to be condemned and sent to prison. And to his surprise, the bishop tells the police that Jean Valjean has done nothing wrong, and, and he goes away a free man. But I've, I've been looking at this story in a new way recently. I've, I've been reading the actual book for the first time, uh, all 800 pages in the abridged edition. And I was really struck by the difference between the movies that I've seen and, uh, and how this plays out in, in the book. In the, mo- in the movies, the bishop's act of forgiveness has an immediate effect on Jean Valjean. Immediately he goes away a changed man. But in the book, it takes time for this great act of mercy to sink in and for gratitude to begin to well up, for the the layers of bitterness and anger in his life built up over a lifetime to be removed. This seems much more realistic to me. And when we pray, we are finding our way into God's story remembering that he is the hero here of this story. What he has done for us, uh, his faithfulness and his love, so that this message of God's goodness and grace might sink into our hearts and remove the layers of bitterness and, and anger of hurt in our own lives until our hearts are softened and we can respond with gratitude in every area of our life. This brings us to our our last point today. Uh, Learning how to tell uh, our story is a part of this process. Our story in relation to God's story. This is what we see in in Psalm 136 in in verses 23 uh, to 26. Uh, We hear, it is he, the God who is creator and redeemer, who remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our foes, who gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. You notice the, the switch to the, the first person? The psalmist declares that the God of creation and of the exodus has acted in the present. When you believe in a God who moves toward a, a needy world in grace, the story of God is not just a story about the past, It's a story about the present and his desire to move toward you 
and the details of your life, your struggles, and your need for rescue. In prayer, we weave our experience into this grand story by remembering God's presence and steadfast love. When we thank God for his love, even something as simple as saying a blessing over a meal, we remember that everything we have is a gift of grace. Alan Noble, uh, in his book, Disruptive Witness, uh, Speaking Truth in a Distracted Age, uh, uses uh, a lake's water cycle as a practical illustration for, for this pattern of receiving and giving thanks to God. You think of a lake like uh, Lake Mendota that is fed by a river that flows into it. Uh, like our lake, this lake is a great destination for people to swim, boat, fish, and, and play in. If we, if we personify the lake, uh, the lake might think that it's the ultimate destination of the river that flows into it. As far as the lake is concerned, the river's purpose is to fill it up. The lake doesn't ever think about where the water comes from. But imagine one day the river whispers to the lake, you know, I didn't make myself. The water comes from the snowpack in the mountains, and that comes from the clouds. The lake would have to see the river and its water in a new way. It's not just for the lake's life. It's a gift from the clouds. Noble, uh, Alan Noble writes this. If the lake could get past its wounded ego and recognize the river as a gift from the clouds it would be overwhelmed with gratitude and look upward to the sky. A movement back to the clouds and an acknowledgement of its contingency on the clouds. And so the lake evaporates a bit each day without ceasing. Just as the river flows into the lake, the lake also looks up to the sky so that it never again sees itself as the end of the river, but always as the grateful recipient of grace from the clouds. I invite you to think about this next time you're looking at one of our lakes here. What have you received that needs to be acknowledged as a gift of grace? And how can you respond by turning away from yourself to give praise and thanks to the giver of every good gift, the creator and the redeemer? On this Pentecost Sunday, we remember that the greatest gift of all uh, is God himself. As Paul says in Romans 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. He invites us into relationship today, remembering in every circumstance that he is with us. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the greatness of your love. Uh, we uh, remember your story, your commitment, your chesed love. And we pray that you would make us aware of how you have worked in love in our own lives, that we would be recipients of your love, but not just recipients, uh, that that love would change our hearts and that we would turn to share your love with others uh, in the places where you've put us, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families, uh, that more and more uh, your love might cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.